Our reading this evening is from the Belgic Confession, Article 1. It's on page 817 of the Gray Psalter Hymnal in your views. Page 817. And as we prepare to meditate on these words of the historic Christian faith, let's come before God in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word, the holy scriptures, which teach us who we are and who you are. These stories that move us and shape us and form us and teach us, O oh Lord our God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you also that you have gifted us over the millennia with these historic confessions, which are faithful summaries of scripture. We thank you for the ways in which they present the scriptures to us in a comprehensive and succinct way that form and shape us as people who follow you. And Lord, we pray this evening as we begin this series on the Belgic Confession that you would show us how these writings point us to Scripture and point us to you. Lord, we pray that these historic confessions of the Reformed tradition would form us and shape us and teach us what it is that we believe. Send us your Holy Spirit, we pray that we may be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Belgian Confession, Article 1, and let's confess this together. With one heart and one voice, we say, We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. Amen. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, this evening we begin a series on the Belgic Confession, this powerful poetic statement of what it is that we believe as Reformed Christians. The Belgic Confession is one of the three forms of unity in the Reformed Communion, together with the Heidelberg Catechism and the Canons of Dort. The Belgic Confession has served as a uniting factor among Reformed churches around the world 
for almost 500 years. And so when we confess these words together, we are joined with reformed churches from North America and Europe to South America, Africa, Asia, and Australia from the Reformation until now. The Christian Reformed Church has a long and rich history of preaching the gospel from these three forms of unity, especially from the Heidelberg Catechism, part of which we preached through last fall in our series on the Apostles' Creed. According to our church order in the Christian Reformed Church, that these three confessions, the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort, are faithful summaries of scripture. And so our denomination allows us to preach from them. They do not supersede scripture or replace scripture, but they teach scripture. In fact, our church order tells us that this is the reason for evening services, to teach the truths of the Christian faith from the Reformed confessions. We don't follow that to the letter of the law, of course, but we do believe that it is important for all Reformed Christians, but especially for office bearers, since part of their responsibility is to promote and to defend the Reformed confessions. And so in this series, we are not only teaching the truths of the Christian faith, we are also equipping our office bearers to serve the church by promoting and defending the confessions. We call these confessions the three forms of unity because they are shared by every church in the Reformed tradition. The Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort teach us who we are as Reformed Christians. They give voice to our historic faith. And what they teach is the faith of the Christian church, spoken with a Reformed accent, so to speak. And for the past three years, these statements of faith have been the subject of our springtime classes, Dive into Doctrine, where we have been learning what it means to live in the world as Reformed Christians. Two years ago, when we started Dive into Doctrine, we taught on the Canons of Dort, a passionate defense of Reformed principles in the face of internal controversy and disagreement in the church. Last year, we looked at the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a deeply intimate and personal articulation of the four pillars of Christian life and worship, the Apostles' Creed, the Sacraments, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer, written to instruct young people in the Christian faith. And this past spring, just a month ago, we wrapped up our class on the Belgic Confession, which is the oldest of the three forms of unity, a sweeping, magisterial, poetic defense of Christian theology written in the context of persecution of Roman Christians by the Roman Catholic Church in Europe. One thing that is unique about the Belgic Confession, and that I'm sure will come up throughout this series, is its authorship. The Canons of Dort was written by a whole synod organized by the government in the Netherlands. A gathering of hundreds of people from various churches all across the country came together to write the Canons of Dort. The Heidelberg Catechism was written by a committee of pastors and theologians who were appointed by the civil magistrate in Heidelberg, Germany. So we have a confession written by a synod, a confession written by a committee. But the Belgic Confession was written by one man, Guido de Bray, 
a theologian, pastor, church planter, and missionary who served churches in France, Belgium, and the Netherlands. And you'll be hearing a lot about his story over the next weeks and months since his life and context helps us understand so much of why this confession is written the way it is. But what's important for us to know this evening as we begin our exploration of the Belgic Confession is that the re a big part of the reason that Guido de Bray wrote this confession was to show the Catholic government that Reformed Christians were not heretics or rabble-rousers. Debray wanted to demonstrate through this confession that Reformed Christians believed and confessed the historic Christian faith as it had been handed down since the time of the apostles, and that Reformed Christians believed that it was important to obey the civil government in all things that did not contradict God's law. Ultimately, Debray's attempts to convince the crown of his orthodoxy and good intentions were unsuccessful. And on May 31, 450 years ago, Guido Debray was publicly executed and martyred for the faith. This confession, our confession, begins with these simple words. We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. And with these words, the confession begins to shape our identity, to shape our self-understanding as God's people. First of all, it's important to note that the confession speaks of we, not I. We all believe and confess. The Belgian Confession invites us right off the bat to see ourselves not first and foremost as individuals who have a personal relationship with Jesus, but as a people, as God's people, called and gathered from among the nations, washed and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and sent out on mission to bring the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The Belgian Confession follows Scripture's lead by inviting us to see ourselves not as individuals walking our separate journeys, but as a people walking a common journey together, side by side, hand in hand, step by step, as together we follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is important for us in our culture because so much of what our culture calls us to focus on is our own journey to the exclusion of everyone else. And this isn't all bad. I mean, we, we all have our own lives and we all follow Christ and we, we, we all have our, our own journey. But, and, and yeah, and even, even Paul encourages individual Christians in the church to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But throughout Scripture and throughout the confession, what we will find is that the story of the individual, our personal story, always finds its place, finds its meaning in the story of the people of God. 
And this is what the Belgian Confession invites us to do. The Belgian Confession is not the story of one individual Christ follower. It is the story of the body of Christ, a community of Christ followers, the story of the church. The Belgian Confession invites us to discover our personal story in the common story of Christians throughout time and space, to discover who I am by knowing who we are as God's people. We are not alone. We walk this journey together, bound together by a common story, the story of the mighty work that God has accomplished through his Son, Jesus Christ. The second thing that the confession tells us right off the bat is that this common story, this common faith, is not simply something that we recite. We do not recite with our mouths the story of God. We believe it in our hearts, and we confess it with our mouths. We believe it because it is true, because this is where we find our identity, because this is where we find our meaning. Believe is a word that we understand. Confess, though, I think takes some explanation. I don't think it's always readily apparent for us what it means to confess our faith. We uphold our faith, we live out our faith, we might even defend our faith. But what does it mean to confess our faith? I think that confession here has two senses. The first is the way we use the word when we say that we are confessing our love to someone. To confess your love to someone means that you can't help but tell them that you love them, despite what they may think, despite what they may feel toward you. you. You might not know how they're going to respond. You might not even know if the feeling is mutual, but you can't help but confess your love to them. And so with wild abandon, you go to them and you confess your love. You tell them how you feel about them and how they make you feel and how you want to be around them all the time and how you can't stop thinking about them. And in one sense, that's what confess means in the context of the Belgian Confession. This is the love song of the bride of Christ for her bride. This is the love song of the children of God for their heavenly Father. This is the overflowing song of love of the church of all ages for the God who has called us and redeemed us and marked us as his own. We confess our faith the way that we confess our love. But there is a second sense to confession here, too. And that's the legal sense. In church, we confess our sins. In a court of law, we confess our guilt. We admit to wrongdoing. And in the context of a church living under persecution, this form of confession takes on a whole new meaning. Because for Guido de Bray, for the reformed Christians of, of the lowlands living under Catholic rule, confessing their faith meant confessing that they were guilty of breaking the law. 
To Christians around the world throughout history and even today, confessing the faith means often confessing that they have broken the laws of the land, that they have broken the laws of the worldly powers that try by their might to halt the spread of the gospel. For these Christians, confessing their faith carries legal weight, the weight of guilt in the face of the law. And when we confess these words, we are united with these Christians for whom confessing the faith means confessing guilt before the law. And what is it that we confess? We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a simple and single spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. You know, all the times that I've taught the Belgian Confession, which I think is three, I have never dealt with Article I by itself. I've always used Article I to introduce a problem. Because Article I does introduce a problem. By itself, Article 1 is a beautiful and powerful statement about what it is that we believe about God, but it's also troubling and problematic in a lot of ways. Because the God who we meet in Article 1 is like nothing we have ever, ever experienced in our everyday lives. Totally unlike anything in the world. He is single, where this world is made up of many parts. He is simple where the world is complex. He is spiritual, where the world is physical, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty. But the world that we know, the lives that we live, are bound by time, limited to what we can see. Constantly changing, finite, mortal, despite the great power that we see in creation and the great power that we see exercised by some people. Power, as we know it, is always limited, never almighty. Article 1 tells us that God is completely wise, just, and good, even the overflowing source of all that is good. But the world that we know is not these things. There is deception. There is injustice. There is evil. The God we are confronted with at the beginning of the Belgian Confession is totally unlike anything we have ever known or experienced. And the problem that this sets up, of course, is this. If God is so different than us, so beyond our experience, so far outside of what we can even know, incomprehensible, how can we know him? How can we love him? How can we have a relationship with him? Why would he even want that? And those are the questions that the rest of the Belgian Confession 
is going to address. Articles 2 through 37 are about how this great, almighty, incomprehensible God turns to the world he has made in love and in grace. But I'm not preaching on Articles 2 through 37 tonight. I'm preaching on Article 1. And what Article 1 offers us, despite the troubling questions that it raises about our ability to know and love God, what Article 1 offers us is at its heart a powerfully comforting truth. God is not like anything in this world. And this truth gives us comfort and hope because the world that we know is a mixed bag. There is evil mixed in with the good. There is sadness mixed in with the joy. There are lies mixed in with the truth. In this world, we can't always be sure what to believe. We hear one thing on this news station and a different thing on another. We see the same person praise God and curse their neighbor with the same mouth. We see great people do terrible things. We see natural disasters made even worse by human corruption and greed. The ancient world knew that this was just what the world was like, full of pain and suffering, corruption and injustice, sorrow and death. And they believed that the world was this way because the gods were this way. If you've ever read stories from ancient mythology, whether it's Greek or Roman or Norse or Egyptian or Babylonian or Hindu, you know that the so-called gods in these stories are just as corrupt and unpredictable and unreliable as regular human people. But we believe and confess that God is not like this world. God is not bound by time. God is not bound by space, God is not swayed or bent by the march of the clock or the changing of the seasons. God is not even bound by the limits of our reason and imagination. God is. As he said to Moses on the mountain, I am who I am. And the scriptures proclaim consistently and without hesitation, there is no God like the Lord our God, who under heaven is like him. God does not change. The one who is and was and ever will be, God does not change. And that's a good thing. Because that means that we can trust him. We can trust in God. We can trust this God, who is completely wise, completely just, completely good, even the overflowing source of all that is good. We can trust this God, even when we cannot trust our world, even when we cannot trust our government, even when we cannot trust our family, even when we cannot trust ourselves. We can trust this God because he is good. He is wise. He is just. He is unlike anything in this world.
never changes. This we believe. This we confess. Thanks be to God. And all God's people said, O Lord our God, in these words which summarize for us the Christian faith, we are confronted with a picture of you that is unlike anything we know. These words from Belgic Confession Article 1 can only be used to describe you. There is nothing on earth that we can compare you to, nothing in this world that is like you, nothing in the entire creation that comes close. And Lord our God, we thank you that you are not like this world. which is always changing. We thank you that you are not like this world, which is not always reliable, which is not always wise, just, and good. But God, we learn from the scriptures that you are wise, just, and good. That you are not bound by the things of this world, that you are not bent by the things of creation. You do not change. You are ever faithful. You are ever true. And we praise your holy name. Amen.